are listening to an Atomic Broadcasting production. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the feature presentation. And remember, do your part, such as like, comment, rate, and don't forget to tell a friend to tune in for an Atomic Time. We begin with a view of the southern mountains, the late afternoon sun gleaming between two snow-capped peaks and beaming in through the clear glass panes of Alward Bolden's office window. The office itself is lavish, with mahogany woodwork with gold trim and a burgundy carpet on the floor. At the desk, we see a scattered pile of papers and a young man feverishly at work. Jenkins, would you describe your character for us? Alward is a tall-ish, five foot nine when he's slouched, six foot tall uh, elf. Uh, he has gold-like hair and silver eyes, dotted on his hands, elbows, behind the ears, and on his feet are crystalline motes. He's typically dressed in a three-piece neutral-toned suit made of a mixture of cloth and leather, and he always seems to be thinking about something and he would look rather aloof if it wasn't for the fact that he is constantly muttering to himself. Nice. And right now you're busying yourself with ledgers of paperwork and balancing the numbers. But um, there's something a little bit off, perhaps, about how these numbers are being balanced? Yes. <laughs> so I am... Moving some funds around uh, in a way that I believe is unnoticeable to go into my next uh, pay period. Mm -hmm. And you've, you've got good reason to believe that this is unnoticeable because you've been at this for quite some time. Yeah, I believe three months at this point, three, four months. Mm -hmm. So on this ledger, the discrepancy, as far as you can count, is probably just a few copper. But over the course of time, how much money do you think that you've siphoned away into your own funds? Uh, yeah, so I, around this time, I probably would have stolen around 50 gold. All right. So the sun is beginning to set at this point. It's kind of on the western side of the southern, southern mountain range. Um, you're probably wrapping up for the rest of the day, packing up your papers, when there's a knock at the door. Who is it? A message for you, Mr. Alwood, sir. I'm not expecting a message. Who's it from? And the door opens, and on the other side of the door, we see a three-foot-tall imp. He's got a blue and white, like, suit vest on, and in a comical cartoon fashion, no pants, no sleeves, just the vest. Donald ducking it. Mm -hmm. And he, he pokes his head around the corner, and he's like... It's it's Master Ryquist. He wants to see you before the day is over. I'll be in there in a moment. I'm just finishing up packing my things. All right. Can I get you anything while I'm here? Uh, some more parchment for tomorrow. That'd be just set it on my desk. Of course, we'll have it delivered this evening. And with a bow, he backs up and he closes the door again. Uh, so I'm gonna finish. Uh, 
uh, working on the thing that I was working on probably a little bit too long uh, to the point where the imp most likely came back and had to remind me to uh, leave. Uh, and then I hastily grab all my things and make my way to his office. All right. And Master Ryquist's office is not far down the hall from where you work. Uh, he is your direct supervisor in the office, as he is the director of the financial department. Uh, you uh, wanted to see me, sir? Yes. Young Master Alwood, please come inside. And as you step into the office, you see your employer, Ryquist, who is a gnome. He is of average height for a gnome, but he has a shock of red hair all around the sides of his head that just surrounds like a ring around his balding pate. And he has a huge bushy mustache to match that completely obscures his face, but like it moves with every word he speaks. I really want to touch that mustache. Like me personally, not Howard. I mustn't. <laughs> Please, sir. Ryquist is pouring himself another cup of tea as you enter and says, Please, Howard, take a seat. Uh, Alward sort of like balls up to try to make himself as small as possible and sits down in the furthest chair away from everything. Would you care for a cup of tea, my lad? Uh, it, it, no. Uh, do you, thank you, though. Of course. And he pauses and looks out the window as he takes a sip. Alward, my lad, there have been some concerns raised recently. It, Concerns? Yes, um, by those who currently must remain anonymous, that there may have been some indiscretions in the financial department. Well, I, I assure you that I, I, I had don't make mistakes. If I do, then my, you, know, you would catch them, so... Of course, my lad. I have every ounce of trust in you. And he kind of turns and gives you a kindly look, and he is like... I, of course, have no doubts that you are doing your utmost to make sure that the ledgers balance out at the end of the day, and if there are any errors, it's most likely clerical errors and other offices that are using the numbers that come through us. Yes. I would just advise you that uh, there are some concerns, so perhaps to redouble your already admirable efforts and make sure that the numbers are all lining up at least for the next couple of weeks. I, I should say at this point, Alward is visibly sweating. Uh, it, uh, of course, I'll 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 double check before I leave today. And Alward, would you make me a perception check? Of course, I would love to make you a perception check. I need new dice. It's the very first roll of this whole thing. It's the very first roll of this whole thing. I rolled a one. A natural one. A nat one, which makes a six. This is going to give us a very interesting start. <laughs> Alward's future isn't looking good. All right. So first off, what you know, you know that Ryquist genuinely likes you mm. and he trusts you to a certain extent. You also know that he doesn't usually talk to you this way. Usually he's a little bit more fatherly and a little bit more direct. He seems like he kind of is like, I don't know, speaking in circles in a way, but you can't quite make it out exactly what it is he's trying to get across. Mm. Well, is, uh, is that all you needed me for, sir? 
Ah, yes, I would, I would hate to hold you up. I know your shift ends in just a few minutes, so if there's anything else you need to finish before you leave, I wouldn't want to keep you from it. Thank you. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, immediately go back into my office and open the reports I've just been fudging and just double-checking to make sure it's fine. Like, there's no way you can trace it back. But you don't write the balances out. You still keep the fudged numbers? I need to. I have to. There's no other way. Mm. We might get a glimpse of why here in a few minutes. I don't like that. <laughs> I didn't come here and expect to feel emotions, Jordy. I came here to play a game. Oh, but that's all we're doing tonight is emotions. <laughs> uh. So you've rectified the numbers and the sun is beginning to set is there anything else you want to do in your office before heading out um i think well i was gonna say i was gonna tidy up but it's very tidy already uh no i think i'm just gonna make sure all the candles and whatnot are blown out whatever i was using for light source Mm -hmm. uh make sure my permanent unseen servant there uh has a task for the night that way he doesn't make a mess when i come back in and then leave all right And as you step out of your office and you turn to lock it back, you hear a voice from just a couple steps down the hall. It's like, burning the midnight oil, eh? Uh, I was told to double check my numbers uh, before I left. And you recognize this voice. This is the voice of Frar, who is an intern with the company. He's not local to the area, as many of the employees in the area are. He's actually immigrated over from Cheliacs. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he in my department? He is. Um, he does a, doesn't have quite as a prestigious position as you do, and you are well aware that he believes that being from Cheliacs, he should have a prestigious position such as yours. Oh, well, he can shove off. It's mine. <laughs> I worked hard. And at the moment, as you're locking the door to your office, he's just kind of ominously leaning against the wall nearby. Uh, I'm sorry, but can, can I help you? What, what, what do you What do you want? Um, you know, just wrapping up my own work here at the office, and I saw you finishing up and wondered if you'd want to go out for a drink with me. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I have things at home i need to take care of i apologize of course and he just like holds his hands up and like mock surrender as he's like always outward with the important things to do i i assure you it is very important i apologize whatever maybe next time and he just starts walking off down the hallway as an aside i you play do the douchey character very well and it makes me hate them immediately like (laughs) no remorse in my heart for that man. Pacano lives on in our hearts. Pacano lives on. <laughs> As you're finishing up, another imp walks up and he's just got like a little leather cap with a candle on top and he's just like walking around and he's just like, everything all right? Yes, yeah, so everything is fine. I'm just leaving for the day. Of course, of course. And he walks up to your office door and tries the door, nods and goes on to the next door, tries it, nods, goes on to the next door. You know, just some infernal security. Yeah. The image of my mind of that imp is adorable. I hope you know that. I need you to know this. I will not shatter your image of this adorable imp. (laughs) Please don't. It's the only thing keeping me here right now is that adorable imp. 
So with your day's work done and your office locked up, your pocket freshly filled with some coins from the day's hard-earned work, I think you might have a stop on the way home. Yeah, I probably need to swing by the apothecary to pick up some items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the apothecary is not in the best part of town. It's not in the worst part of town, but it's not in the best part of town. So as Alward is walking through Tomgrove, we'll kind of zoom out a little bit and see the rest of the town. There's really a distinct two sections to the town. Uh, the part you're coming out of is like wealthy with cobbled streets and such, nice buildings. This is the portion of the city that was built for the administrators of the Infernal Mining Company, which is the company that Alward works for. On the other side of town is a lot of the more traditional buildings, most like log cabins with pitch seals, built by the Scald people who originally lived here. Now, a little bit of history, as Alward continues to walk, uh, surrounding <clears throat> outside of Tomgrove, there's a mine, which in the old days used to be a copper mine, but was believed to have gone dry up until about a decade ago. Only recently did another like explorer or miner who was poking around in there find a fresh vein of mithril. And it wasn't long before the Infernal Mining Company bought up the land rights and quickly swooped in with their corporatization of the area, and the mining is now in full force with exports of mithril every day. Good, good. Unfortunately, not a lot of this money makes it to the Scald side of town, where Alward is now headed with a purse of money to see the apothecary. Mm. Yeah, so I, he's definitely going to like hold his cloak tight to him, essentially, trying to like be as nonchalant as possible, but it's kind of impossible for him to do so. The more he tries to blend in, the more he sticks out. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the town also would know who Alward is, if not know him personally, they can tell just by the quality and style of his garments that he's with the company. So you'll get various responses from people kind of coming up and begging or spitting on your boots as you go by. There's some mixed reactions to the company's presence. I, the whole time I'm walking down the street, anybody who gets in my way, uh, they can never get within five feet in front of me because there's just an invisible ball walking in front of me, making sure that it's like gently pushing everyone out of the way. Interesting. And is there any like, shall I say, how, how does this appear to the people? Is it just do they feel like they're just being pushed by something they can't see? So I would imagine the people would like try to uh, approach and then, yeah, it would be like hitting a sort of soft wall and getting like pushed a little to the side, but they they don't really know what's causing it. Interesting. Since it's invisible. So as Alward makes his way through town, before long he comes up to the apothecary's house, which is a small, run-down, but well-constructed building on the north side of town. The apothecary has what our modern sensibilities might think of as a drive-through window, there's just like a shuttered window on the side of the house with a small uh, outcropping to place goods and monies while trading. And at the time, at the moment, the window is shuttered, but there is like a pull string and a bell outside. 
I'm going to look at the pull string and the bell and sort of wave my hand a little bit and a hand, an ethereal hand is going to come up and ring the bell. And after a moment of silence, the shutters squeak halfway open and then we hear some grumbling from inside and they close a little bit and then open the rest of the way. And an old man who's got like parchment thin skin over his like knobby knuckles and such and like uh, greasy stringy gray hair pokes his head out through the window. And Alward, you know from having dealt with this fellow on a few occasions, you know that he used to work in the mine back when it was a copper mine. And, you know, mining life has been hard on him. And now that the company's in the area, he's fallen back on his skills as an apothecary because he's just not really physically fit to go back into the mines at this time. But there's enough new business in the area with the company that he can afford to make a living as an apothecary. I would assume I know his name. You don't. I don't know his name because he hasn't told me or because I haven't asked. Probably a mixture of both. That seems fair. Because this encounter with the apothecary is pretty typical. As Alward comes up and rings the bell, the apothecary opens the window, and he just kind of stares at you for a moment, and is just like, Back for more. Uh, Yes. All right. Wait here. And he kind of turns and just shuffles off out of view, and there's the sound of, you know, something thumping and a little tinkling of glass. I should mention my unseen servant is directly behind me. As all of this is happening, and you're kind of waiting for your product that you're there for, you hear a voice behind you who's like, Alward, I didn't expect to see you here. Uh, Do I recognize the voice? You do. It is someone from over in Human Resources. His name is Callum. He is a very outgoing and cheerful guy with close-cropped brown hair. And you said he was human? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, Callum. Uh, just picking up some things, you know. Uh, just some things. Uh, hopefully the same as I. I'm picking up some old hair of the dog. Just a preemptive measure for my evening. Oh, uh, right, yes. Uh, uh, hangover aid, uh, correct. Yes, yes. Oh, do you have anyone you're going out with? You should come with us. N- no, it's not for th- this evening. It's uh, for a, a, a later d- uh, uh, in the month. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good news. <laughs> and he puts his arm around your shoulder, assuming that your unseen servant allows this to happen. It depends. Is he coming from the side or the back? The side. Yeah, that's fine. Comes from the side and puts his arm around your shoulder, and he's like, I always knew you'd find someone, Alward, a charming man like yourself. Uh, the second his arm hits Alward's shoulder, uh, I shrink up uh, into the sort of, again, just trying to be as small as possible. I'm like, yeah, uh, right. Um, Mr. Apothecary, are you done yet? And as you're asking... The older man, the apothecary, turns back around, and he's got a stubby glass bottle. With inside is the thick liquid that you've accustomed to see with for this substance. Uh, I try to grab it with mage hand uh, and shove it in my pocket as quickly as possible uh, before uh, Callum sees. Why don't you make a thievery check against Ew, Callum's perception, no. DC? What is my thievery? 
I'm actually trained in thievery. It's like I thought about that. Oh, that's a lot better than my perception earlier. 22. Yeah, so the instant that bottle just sets down and the apothecary is like holding it between his three fingers, just this ethereal hand whisks out of nowhere, slides the glass bottle off the desk into Albert's hand and into his cloak all in one smooth motion. Callum, standing nearby, doesn't seem to have caught really a glimpse of the bottle, and he's like, oh, fancy trick. You'll have to teach me that one sometime. Uh, I, um, it, it, later. Uh, And then uh, the mage hand puts the money on the counter for him as well. And no amount of subtlety can disguise how much money you've just placed on the counter. And Callum's eyes just grow wide. He's just like, Boy, you've gotten the good stuff. What kind of week supply? Uh, uh, yes, I've been I've been saving up. Uh, it's going to be one uh, one heck of a weekend. Well, make sure you save some for the rest of us. Uh, n- no promises. And he claps Albert on the back, perhaps uh. a little bit too hard, and saunters up the counter, slams both hands down. He's like, Mister Apothecary. Yes. And their conversation continues. Uh, Albert's just going to like, uh, he he stands there a little bit too long, unsure if the transaction between him and uh, Callum is done. Uh, and then once he realizes it is, and he realizes Callum is all in the apothecary, he slinks away and tries to head home. All right. And the bottle you received from the apothecary, where do you store that? Are you holding it? Is it tucked in a pocket? Um, I think uh, once I got far enough away from Cal, I would take it and put it in my uh, upper coat pocket to try to keep it as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And then my unseen servant again moves back into the front of me. All right. At this point, the sun has almost completely set. But along the streets of the town, there are a few other imps going around and they've got like those long like lamp lighting poles and they're lighting ornate lamps that were also imported from Cheliax. Mm-hmm. Again, all... these imps are adorable. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but all of these lamps are on the corporate side of town. The scald side is still dark and it is on the edge of the scald side where Alward's home is set. Mm. Uh, so I think I'm going to just is try to like stay as close to the lights as possible, but uh, not to where like it impedes how quickly I get home. Okay. And as you're walking along this path, you hear a voice along like one of the side roads as you're passing by. And it's like, Hey, Alward. And does this voice sound familiar? Yes, it does. It sounds like far people. Uh, Alward, the second he hears that voice, he just immediately just, cringes and is like yes frar hey i thought you said you had some busy stuff to do looks like you freed up N- nope heading home now why don't you come and hang out with me and my friends I, I, I really can't i have to get home so question as he's addressing you from the side road are you eyes forward just straight on or are you kind of pausing to look i think i'd be doing that like half turn walk uh trying to like pay him as much respect as possible that he deserves, but also trying to make it clear that I'm heading in a direction. And what is your perception DC? Uh, 15. All right. So 
as you're making this half turn walk to address him, you hear somebody walking up behind you. I, I turn around to see who it is. So it's a pretty big guy. You've seen him around town. You probably don't know his name. He's about six foot three, broad shouldered. He works in the mines and he's kind of coming up and just putting his arm around your shoulder. And he's like, come on, why don't you relax? Have a drink with us. Does he look like a scald? What is he? He is scald. He's mm-hmm. scald. I'm going to say to him in scald, please, I need to get home to my mother. Let me go. Hey, come on. We won't take too long. We just want to have a chat, maybe share a drink. She I, Again, all of this isn't because I'm assuming um, Freyr doesn't know Scald. Um, so I'm just, it, she's very sick. Let me go. And as you're protesting and like, let me go, he's continuing to push you and like drag you closer towards like that side road. I am going to... Give me a second. I have to... New abilities for a new character. That was awful. I'm sorry to our listeners. Uh, What I'm going to do um, is try to sort of move, like fight against his pushing of me, uh, but I'm going to amp my mage hand to... And this is completely up to you because technically right now all it can do, I think, is a minus 10 status penalty to move. But I want it to be like against his movement, pushing me toward the thing and assisting me in going the other way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you start focusing your telekinetic powers to try mm-hmm. to like force a wedge between this guy and yourself to try to push yourself away from him. Yeah, trying to like, because I'm assuming he has me like under, so like mm-hmm. uh, essentially try to push him back to give me space to like get around and continue walking. But uh, I can't use the shove action yet, so. All right. Before I narrate, what is your athletics, DC? So that I have to double check real fast because I think... Sorry, a fortitude, DC. I misspoke. uh, No, it's an attack spell roll against their fortitude. Oh, okay. So go ahead and make an attack roll for me. Yeah, let me see my magical attack roll. 17. All right, so that's a success. So he's like feeling this telekinetic force against him, which technically what it's going to do is going to be slowing him down. Mm-hmm. But he he gets the sense that you're trying to like push away so and try to get away from him. What it would look like is uh, when I'm like pleading, like forcing me, like five hands appear and like grab him and like start slowly pushing him. And for my memory because i'm not sure is this something that's visible to everyone uh yeah i don't believe mage hand is invisible let me double check oh yeah because this is just mage hand yeah it's just an amped mage hand i can yeah okay so then he's going to be like trying to grab onto you with both hands now and he's like the the freak's using his freak magic i just need and uh this is in common i just need to get home please let me go so he's got you grabbed right now from a previous role. Mm-hmm. He's going to try to like knee you in the back now. What a monster. What is your armor class? 15. Okay, so that's a success. You take five bludgeoning damage. I thought you said you weren't going to kill me, Jordy. As he's just like, as you're trying to pull away, like his grip loosens and he like grabs both of your shoulders and then he just like knees you in the back. Please just... Let me go. I don't. I, I don't want to fight you or anything. I don't. I just don't want. We can. I can go out with you in like an hour. Just let me get home. 
<laughs> as I'm like coughing up blood because he almost halved my health. Frar walks up and he's like, you don't get it. There are no drinks. I would like to cast telekinetic rend then. Just not even thinking about it. Just the second I hear that as like an innate reaction, it just appears uh, as two vortexes start warping space right uh, almost on me and uh, on uh, Friar as well. Nice. So it's going to be getting the big guy in Frar? Yeah. Uh, and it needs, they need to make, it's a basic fortitude save. What's your DC? 17, I believe, yeah. Uh, two regular successes. Okay, so they will take four uh, bludgeoning damage. Nice. So it's just like the space itself warping around them mm-hmm. and just like parts of their own like arms slamming into their head and such. Yeah, like, please just let me go. And again, I, I'm not even noticing I'm doing this. And as this is happening, Frar's just like, knock him out, runs up and he swings at your face. Oh. And he misses. Screw you, Frar. He was one off from your flat-footed AC. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. You must have rolled bad. Yeah, I'm using a somewhat modified uh, combat right now just to keep things rolling. Okay. So I'm going to say the big guy is using his action to just keep you grabbed. And then, uh, again, I'm just going to look at him like, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be hurt. Let me go. Uh, and then... I telekinetic projectile toward the big guy uh, and this is going um, to be amped since somebody swung on me again and I'm freaking out. Understandably. Uh, 19. Ooh, that's a hit. Oh, so this is actually fun. Um, They are pushed back five feet from me uh, since since it's a success. And they are going to take six damage. Nice. So I was going to give you a free escape attempt. I'm not sure how that would work out like in normal tactical gameplay, but I was going to give you a free escape attempt. But um, I'm going to ask, what did you telekinetically projectile at him? Uh, So probably since I'm not really paying attention and I'm just trying to get home and everything's sort of reacting, uh, it's probably just going to be like a stone on the ground that just flung at his head. Mm. And the stone whirls up through the air and just cracks into the side of his head and he just lets out a dull... And then you feel his grip loosen as he just topples to the ground next to you. Howard's immediately running home. And as you take off running, you hear Frar behind you. I'm going to need an athletics check. Uh, oh, no, I'm bad at that. 18. I'm going to step away from my microphone to show you what I rolled on my bronze die. Oh, please don't be a nat 20. Screw you, Jordy! As you take off running, Frar dives after you. It was a nat 20 grabs your legs and you fall forward as you hit the ground. First thing that hits is your belly, then your chest, and you hear a shattering sound. I'm, upon that shattering sound, I'm immediately going to like my psyche's gonna just burst open, uh, which I'm Before that happens, okay. this was a critical success. Oh, right. So you take 20. 1d6 bludgeoning damage when your oh, head hits die. the ground. I might be the dead man four bludgeoning damage. I am not the dead man. Uh, then my psyche is just going to unleash, which nothing fancy this thing. It's just I do more damage. Um, and with that, uh, I will, uh, again, just telekinetic projectile, not just a random rock. 
19 again. That's a hit. Eight damage. All right. And this rock also hits far directly in his head, and he just <clears throat> just falls forward, and his head like lays down on the cobblestone road as the liquid from the glass that was in your pocket just kind of trickles under his face. Uh, I, I, I was going to tell his uh, servant to like pick up as much of it as possible uh, in the hopes that he can like save it. I'm not sure if I, I, I if he can, but he's like, pick it up, please. Uh, and then he's like going to look around panicked and then he grabs his head because it kind of hurts a little bit. Um, and he's going to look around and see if anybody else is around. At the moment, the streets seem oddly deserted. Except for one imp who starts like walking by and he looks over and then looks away and hurriedly shuffles off. No, no, I need... <laughs> I try to get his attention to like go get uh, someone, anyone to help these people and so, so I can explain the situation. Sorry, bud. Not in my contract. Uh, stupid imps. How far away would like the nearest guardhouse be, or like some, or like somebody to help these people on the ground? Hmm. Good question. So, the nearest people who would enforce the law in the area, they would probably be back at headquarters at this time of night, mm. unless they're on patrol at the time. So, if a patrol came by, you might get lucky in that regard. But that being said. These are the enforcers, and they're not the friendliest of people. Um, if you'll let me be flavorful a little bit, I'm going to then... Uh, well, how far away was I able to get away from this kerfuffle uh, when I ran away? Like two feet or... Good 20 feet. Good 20 feet. Mm -hmm. um, and has my unseen servant like picked up any of the goop? A little bit. Okay. There's a lot of dirt and yeah. a lot of glass mixed in. That's fine. Um, I mean, that's not fine, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, um, I guess, just like try and move them with the assistance of my mage hand uh, near like a light post. That way they can be easily spotted and then just try to make my way out of there uh, before anybody notices me. All right. And we'll see a nice shot of Albert as he walks past the camera with his cape billowing. And we just see the two thugs, both of them with like welts on their heads, beginning to blue and kind of swell up. And we will fade out to black. We come back to see Albert dragging himself, staggering along the road just outside of his house. He's a little bit bloodied, a little bit beat up, and the entire front of his shirt is covered with just goop and dirt from the shattered glass and all of the ground that he was laying on. Uh, before entering, Alward's going to uh, tidy up his uh, shirt and cast prestidigitation on himself to clean up uh, and fix his hair. All right. And Alward opens the door, and inside it's warm and bright and welcoming, and he hears a familiar voice. Oh, Alward! <coughs> You're home! Uh, hello, uh, how are you? How are, how are you doing today? Oh, much better, much better, feeling better. 
how are you? You look a little bit mus. And she comes up to start adjusting your hair. It's Alward's mother. She's got a crocheted shawl draped around her shoulders and her blonde hair is pulled up into a bun behind her head. She looks a little bit sickly, a little bit pale, but she's just kind of ignoring that as she's straightening up Albert's collar, all of this work that he just did outside. She's in her own motherly sort of way, just like, ah, just so. Albert's going to... Uh, okay, as a side note, that makes a lot of sense for, like, the character traits I have for Alward. Um, but moving on past that, Alward's just going to let her do it because um, he knows he probably didn't do it right. Um, and then he's like, uh, I uh, wasn't able to get the medicine today. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. She pats your shoulder and stifles a cough, and she's like, that's fine. I've got a few more doses left. Uh, Good. Um, I'll I'll try to pick some up tomorrow. All right. All right. Well, dinner's just about ready. Why don't you come in and have some food? Uh, of course. And uh, I'm going to dismiss my unseen servant as one already presumably exists uh, mm -hmm. in the house to help out. Uh, and I'm going to sit down uh, at the table and just patiently wait, like fidgeting uh, with my hands in between my legs. So as Alward takes his seat, at the table. He glances into the kitchen and he sees a big stew pot and a spoon stirring itself, work of his unseen servant he's summoned in the area to assist his mother with household tasks. And as his attention is drawn into the kitchen, he is suddenly ambushed from behind by his younger sister, Lena, in a bear hug around his shoulders. Uh, he winces because he's still very much hurt. Uh, and he's like, ah, uh, Lena, how have you been today? I was good. I was good. I was helping mom with the crocheting, and we got so much work done. Good girl. You got to help around the house as much as possible. Um, you didn't get in her way, did you? Mm, no, no. Mm -mm. I was helping. Could you let me? Just... He's going to like try to like gently push her off without moving that much. It's a little bit difficult because she's, at this point, has her arms around your neck like in a monkey hold. But... Ooh. Hold on. Uh, instead of pushing her off, because I'm assuming she doesn't weigh too much, does she? No. Uh, so I'm going to have Mage Hand like, pick her up and set her at the table, if that's okay. I think she weighs more than that. Uh, darn it. What's I'm your not... limit? One bulk? Uh, right now, because it's not all heightened, it's still uh, uh, light bulk. Oh, okay. So more than a bottle of ketchup. More than a yeah. bottle of ketchup. So your sister, who weighs more than a bottle of ketchup, cannot be lifted by Mage Hand. What if I amped it? Then you could lift, like, a, a bag of sugar. But I have, like, five hands. <laughs> That's fine. I'll go back to doing my original <laughs> thing. So you kind of, like, peel her hands off of your neck, and she just, like, settles for just, like, sitting in the chair next to you. And she just starts telling you all about her day and all of the stuff she did and in far more detail than really matters, but it's really cute. Alward listens in the way an adult listens to a child where he's actually thinking about literally everything that just happened and is freaking out mentally, but is trying not to show it. He does not do a very good job, but he tries. And Lena, of course, doesn't notice any of this. Yeah, she's a child. Because to her... Everything at home is fine. Her mom's fine. 
My big brother is a good big brother and helps out with everything and everything's okay. And when the unseen servant comes by with the bowls of stew for each of you, sets one in front of Lena and she just immediately digs in, sets one in front of Alward and one in front of Alward's mother, Valia. So uh, Alward doesn't touch, he doesn't move his hands out uh, uh, from his uh, lap and just he mage hands food. Uh, with the spoon into his mouth, still using proper etiquette and everything, just with the mage hand. And after a couple spoonfuls of that, you just hear from Valia, your mother, <clears throat> Alward. Oh. Sorry, I grab the spoon from the mage hand and start eating. Uh, I'm thinking, I apologize. It's all right. Just mind your manners. I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> I love the contrast of the supernatural and the mundane. <laughs> yeah, just, Howard, don't use mage hand at the table. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I'm just going to finish eating food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, I don't know uh, what else. I, I'm constantly like starting to mumble uh, once there's like less soup in my bowl, less stew in my bowl. About like, and it's real quiet and it doesn't really make too much sense, but it's basically like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this money? Like, I gave all I had to the apothecary and now it's broken. And so just trying to figure that out uh, so I can get the medicine tomorrow. Makes sense. The rest of the evening passes with simple quietness. And if it weren't for these worries on Alward's heart, he would probably have a pleasant evening. But as it is, I imagine he's... I'm just kind of stressed and not really able to enjoy it. Yeah. He's also in a lot of pain. A lot of pain. Makes sense. He's been through a lot. Speaking of a lot of pain. Oh, no. (laughs) Would you make me a fortitude save? Do I have to? Uh, You could just fail if you want to. I would prefer not. I'm probably going to. My fortitude is uh, plus three. I'm very fortuitous. Same verse, second verse, same as the first. It is a nat one with a four total. I'm enjoying the narrative trajectory. (laughs) It's not going to be a fun campaign for Alward. So Alward, you head to bed and you gingerly climb into bed. You know, first you like lean in like you normally do. And then there's just like a sore muscle. that just sends a twinge of pain up through your arms. You like (sighs) carefully readjust how you're laying And the next day, you wake up, and the sun is streaming in through your window, which is not good, because normally you have to get up before the sun. Uh, I'm I'm immediately going to bolt up, uh, summon my unseen servant to, like, start gathering my things, uh, and just, like, rush out the door as fast as my body will let me. Which is moderately fast. You're a young fellow. You spring back quickly. In fact, I would wager, I guess, you probably regained three hit points over the night. It's your level plus your con? Yeah. I gained one. Or sorry, your level times your con. I gained one. You get one hit point over the course of the night. I have no constitution to speak of. I'm shocked, Michael. (laughs) You're shocked? (laughs) Yes. So, Alward, still bruised, 
still beat up, sore muscles, is hobbling his way through the town, his unseen servant following him. Alward, you have a really good head for numbers, time, and spacing. Just from the position of the sun, it's probably about lunchtime. Uh, I'm going to go ahead uh, as I'm walking, have my uh, unseen servant hold open a book and have my mage hand be writing as I'm walking. Um, And then let me double check something about unseen servant. Uh, And I'm just going to have it travel 60 feet in front of me at all times, trying to like deliver a letter to someone who can take it to my office. Being like, I apologize that I am late. I'm on my way. I am sorry. So your unseen servants, like trying to find somebody to give that letter to like an, like an imp of the company, like a anybody who can move farther away from me than my unseen servant. Because I'm like, go! And then it gets 60 feet. And I'm like, right. Crap. So it kind of walks up at first to an imp who just looks at it and is like, that ain't in my contract. And keeps sweeping the streets. <laughs> walks up to some bureaucrat businessman who just like, just sees like this letter floating in front of him and he takes it and sees it's not addressed to him and just like tries to hand it back. And at first it just falls to the ground. The unseen servant scoops it back up again, runs up to one of the enforcers and they're wearing like red and gold uniforms. And each of them is holding a rifle. And as the unseen servant walks up with the envelope, he takes it, he looks at it and then just rips it in half and throws it on the ground and keeps walking. Howard probably wouldn't have noticed. He's too busy just going. He thinks his unseen servant's doing a good job. So in slightly under your normal pace, which is record time for as beat up as you are, you arrive at the office. I'm going to enter and try to hastily wake, make my way to my office before being seen by anybody. Mm-hmm. The halls are as busy as usual. Nobody seems to be paying too much attention to the fact that Alward's coming down the halls. The only trouble you run into is when you open the doors to your office. And inside, at your desk, you see Ryquist and Frar. Master Ryquist, what is Frar doing here? Oh, Alward. Good to see you again. Yes. Yes, I'd, I'd heard you'd been in a bit of a scrape last night. Uh, yes, uh, Mr. Farr wouldn't let me go home and hired a thug to uh, assault me, as you say. Ryquist, with his bushy mustache just kind of curling up and bristling in confusion, and his eyebrows cocked, looks over at Farr, who just shrugs, and he's like, I don't know, I mean, I, I saw it happen. I guess he thought I was part of it. Uh, n- no, you... Uh, specifically asked me to uh, go get drinks, and uh, I I said I had to get home, and then you said there was no drinks, and that man became very violent, and I I tried to get home, and you wouldn't let me, and then you got hurt somehow, and then I put you up against a light and went home. Farrar just looks at Ryquist, and Ryquist just kind of nods. He does sound a little delirious. No, no, this is... Master Rakris, you have to understand, that's that's what happened. Of course. Um, perhaps we should continue this discussion after you've had some time to recuperate. 
I don't... W- what discussion are we having? Uh, is he going to get fired? He assaulted me. Ryquist looks at Frar. Frar, like, glances at Ryquist and then looks down at the table, at the papers in front of them. Like, almost absentmindedly, a mage hand, like, goes to, like, pick it up to see what... and bring it to me to see what it is. Like, And I'm like, what? what is that? And as the mage hand is taking it, Frar just, like, puts his hand down on it and, like, pins the paper to the table. <laughs> I'm just imagining a mage hand still trying to pull it, just... The, the the sound of paper just as the mage hand is struggling against the hand Ryquist waves his hand as like a you know hey everybody cut it out kind of gesture uh, the, the mage hand dissipates Ryquist is like Frar could I have a moment alone with Awad Frar nods begins walking out of the room after he's made it far enough that his back is to Ryquist, but he can still see Alward. He just lets the slightest bit of a smirk on his face. Uh, as he passes Alward, Alward slightly like flinches because uh, Frar has made himself a violent presence in front of Alward. So Alward's a little like, uh-huh. would you make me a perception check, Alward? Oh, let's hope it's better than my fortitude save. Thank you. It is by one. So seven. With that result. (laughs) I need different (laughs) dice so bad. With that result, you notice that Frar is wearing a hat when he usually doesn't. It's a nice hat, Master Frar. He nods, but he doesn't skin. How dare you not? That is that is rude, sir. And he steps out of the office and closes the door behind him. Ryquist turns away and is looking out the windows that we started at. My office had windows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had such a nice office. Don't speak in the past tense. Sorry, yet. I have such a nice office. Ryquist takes a sip of his tea, but does not offer... I I know I'm a little late, but uh, d- d- is it too late to get a, a, a cup of coffee from the uh, the imps? Alward, my lad, when I heard that you would be indisposed today after your incident the previous night, but I decided I would come in and get started on some of the more crucial duties that you usually take care of. Frar being the young go-getter that he is uh, volunteered to assist me he, he, he assaulted me I... and the two of us together were going over the numbers uh, did you find a, a, a mistake uh, I don't Howard my lad there's a discrepancy of 22 gold pieces since you started working with us I, I assure you I, I don't know what you're talking about and again, I am Alward. I am visibly sweating. Um, maybe the the moats are like starting to glow a little bit, like rapidly pulsating. Would you make me deception check? Oh boy! Oh wait, what? Why am I trained in deception? That's not right. I shouldn't be trained in deception. I should be a bad liar. <laughs> That's fine, cause my dice hate me. Eight. Ryquist. <clears throat> Ryquist seems unfazed by your mm, protests. It's fair. My lad, I'm afraid 
the mining company must take such indiscretions very seriously. What does this mean, sir? I, I, I don't understand. Albert, for a sum of 22 gold pieces missing from the company's coffers, I'm afraid I have no choice but to immediately dismiss you from service. Uh, Albert's eyes get real big, and he drops all pretense. He's like, you, you don't understand. My, my mother, she, she was sick, and I asked, I asked for a raise and, and an advance, and they, they wouldn't. I, I needed, I, I, I was going to pay it all back once she was better, but she was sick. And then, and then Freyer uh, assaulted me, and he, he broke the medicine, and... Ryquist turns around, no longer looking out the window. Now he's facing Alward. And he says he's got tears in his eyes. My lad, this is my duty to the company. I, I hope you understand that I'm doing what is best. If you had been responsible for the disappearance of any greater sum than these 22 gold pieces, the consequences would be far more dire than a mere dismissal. I'm glad for your sake that you had more self-control. Howard kind of shifts awkwardly uh, upon hearing that and is like, I, he uh, composes himself a bit and he's like, I understand and I harbor no ill will uh, toward you. Just let me collect my things and um, I, how long do I have to find a new place to stay? Real quick, would you roll me a perception check? Yeah. 15. Hopefully I see something. So as you're saying that and kind of reading Ryquist's face, you realize that he knows it's not 22. (laughs) Alward, like, immediately breaks down and... Looks like he's going to, like, go hug him, but then uh, he thinks better of it and, like, has his mage hands, like, pat him on his shoulder and thanks. And uh, my question still stands. Ryquist nods and he's like, you have until the end of the day to vacate your office and until the end of the week to vacate the company-owned dormitory. Understood. Um, I will be removing my enchantment of my unseen servant, and uh, then I will be collecting my things. I think that for the best. If you don't mind, sir, giving me uh, a moment alone to do so, but do know that before you leave, I was telling the truth about Freyr. He uh, did assault me. Uh. Ryquist begins walking out of the room but just as he's going to pass you in that classic dramatic cinematic moment where you're facing opposite directions he pauses and says rest assured young Alward I shall investigate into Frere with even more rigor than I investigated into you and then when he leaves and the door uh, shuts Howard's going to lock it uh, with his mage hand and sort of take his time and grabbing his things and he sort of like 
grabs his scale uh, and he's touching everything with his hands and he's grabbing his scale and giving it to the unseen servant to hold and grabbing all the, like the little bits and bobbles for his scale and gives it to the unseen servant. Uh, that's basically all he had there that was his was the scale, but he's just going to take a lot of time um, like remembering the office and like reminiscing. Mm. That's what that's the word. He's going to be reminiscing. Makes sense. Yeah. Because you've worked here in that same office for a couple years now. Yeah. Uh, as long as I've been in, uh, moved from Chelyax, uh, I've been here. Yeah. And this is probably the most stable place you've had to call home for most of your life. Mm. Well, for at least 11-ish years, 12, mm. 13 years. And then he's going to, uh, like he's taking all day. they said he had all day he is taking all day even though i'm sure uh Ryquist knows that he only has like two items um but he is uh taking the whole day and like leaves at the exact moment like he's out of the door the second his shift would have been over as alward walks out of the door at the end of his shift he walks past Ryquist, who is standing outside the door and is like i Hope you understand there are no ill will between myself and you, no, my boy. Uh, of course not. No, no, no. I, I know you would have done more if you could. Perhaps sometime after this all blows over, I might come and visit that coffee shop you've been inviting me to. Oh, do. It's it's very good. Just like uh, back home in uh, Chaliax, they have the and she knows how to brew it and it's, it's very it's very good I think I would like that and Ryquist turns and walks back into the building Alward is just gonna stop and uh, stare at the building for like one moment longer and then uh, head home and he's just gonna be mumbling the whole time rather loudly about like how he's gonna explain this what's he gonna do for a place to stay like, he's just trying to figure that all out. And we'll do a hard cut there. The next thing we see is Alward stepping out of the door of a small, well-kept house. As distinct from the houses we've seen earlier, this one is not constructed out of wood and pitch or the cobbled stones in the Chillaxian style. This one is made out of slabs of mountain rock carved out of the southern mountain range to the south and carted up to the large city of Joel. These small houses abut each other uh, tightly, making narrow streets and high walls. Just as Alward is stepping out of the door, a voice calls out to him. Hey, Alward! Oh, uh, Mr. Anders, what can I do you today? Yeah, you heading back down to Tom Grove, was it? Uh, it yes. Well, make sure you bring back some of them... Grasses. G gra grasses? 
Yeah, I was reading all about him in the papers. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't think I know what you're talking about. He, uh, he pulls up the scrap of paper, and there's just like this um, pencil sketch of an illustration on it, and underneath it, it's like uh, Miracle Grass is what's written under it. And he's like, oh, I've been hearing all about it. If you bring this back to me, we'll consider your rent paid in full. And he gives a huge stage wink to you. Uh, right. And Alward mage hands the paper and he doesn't like grab it or anything. He just holds it with the mage hand in front of him. As the paper drifts towards you, it kind of flops a little bit and you can see on the other side and there's some hastily scrawled writing. Uh, I read what it says with like, not trying to be like, to outwardly show to him that he's very done with whatever's happening, but in the thing that, like, this has happened many times before. As you might expect, the writing on the other side of the paper says, keep up fighting the good fight of faith. Yeah, okay, I'll... I'll bring you the grass, I suppose, Mr. Anders. I, I keep trying to tell you that I'm not... Mr. Anders, a tall, slim man with graying hair, is nevertheless wiry for his age and his frame, and he wraps his arm tightly around Alward's shoulder, and he's like, right, you're not part of the resistance, and he taps the side of his nose knowingly. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, I must be going now. All right. Well. All right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got for you. Well, I would hope so. As Alward is setting out from the house through the city of Joel, it's a very different surroundings from the divided population of Tomgrove. While Joel has its own societal issues and poverty and divides, it's nevertheless a more unified civilization. Um, in Tomgrove, we see a strong distinction between those who are with the company and those who are not with the company. Joel is your average skull town, just people living their lives. And it might be a little bit refreshing after the years of the highly regulated society that uh, Albert had found himself a part of to just be in a city full of people where kids go running by as they're playing tag. Someone tries to sell you something as you walk by and everybody's just being themselves, living their lives. Uh, Alward is, uh, unlike before, he doesn't have his unseen servant sort of following. Ahead. He's not as worried as people like bumping into him. He's not in as much of a rush. Uh, so he's just going to make his way uh, to where he always does every morning, uh, uh, which is to his favorite coffee shop. Uh, the Morning Contract. The morning contract at this time of day sees a lot of patronage. It's late enough in the morning that all the early comers have already gotten their coffee and moved on, but not so late in the morning that nobody wants coffee. There's plenty of people around, and it's definitely at the peak of business, so Albert has come at just the right time. As he walks in, he is greeted by the proprietor of the business, a Zia Faldezig. She's a gnome. She's got bright blue hair but it's all like tied up in a messy bun over her head that bobs dangerously whenever she moves around 
as Alward walks in through the door and a small bell over the top tinkles, she's just like, Alward, you're here just in time. And she just walks up and as before Alward can even say anything, she's already got an apron on him and he's, she's tying the strings, handing him a list of orders and is just rattling off. So, okay, so so-and-so wants this and he wants his usual. Uh, and Alward sort of takes a second um, and it looks like he's frozen. Uh, but then after about, um, after she gets done rattling about three seconds after that, uh, mage hands and an unseen servant just starts passing out drinks to everywhere, uh, barely making a mistake. Maybe once or twice, you hear, "Oh, that's not mine," uh, but for the most part, it's spot on. I would imagine Alward's kind of like in the zone now. Oh yeah, he he, he is fully focused on that. He has uh, both the unseen servant that he's undoubtedly made for the cafe, uh, helping out and his own unseen servant that he's now summoned helping out too, just trying to get the rush gone. Nice. And after an hour or so of that, the rush has really died down and it's really early afternoon now. Uh, people are kind of coming by every so often, but it's more for like social hanging out, you know, or maybe some of the more well-to-do patrons who come to sip on a coffee and read a book. And um, Zia walks up and she's like, well, Got through that. Time for you to take a break, eh? Uh, yes, please. It's very hectic morning. Right. And she hands Alward his favorite coffee. Uh, he, he grasps it uh, with both hands, and immediately all the tension, the second he grasps it, like melts away, and he just sort of comfortly sits down and becomes as small as possible and starts sipping on it. And how does Alward like his coffee? Alward... Uh, Loves his coffee, specifically made um, slow-dripped with uh, two cubes of sugar. He measures them out before he started trusting Zaya uh, every morning uh, and a specific amount of creamer, which I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm a bad player. <laughs> uh, two ounces of sweetened cream and eight grams of sugar, which equates to about two cubes. Yeah, and by now... I'm sure you've had enough coffees made by Zia that you trust oh. her production of this coffee. B fully, but for the first, like, three or four months that he lived in this town, he double-checked everything. Like, he weighed the coffee when she wouldn't let him make it himself. <laughs> As you are sipping on this coffee and enjoying this breath of peace and a bit of a break, the door to the shop opens and a new person you haven't seen before steps in. Hmm which isn't entirely uncommon. The morning contract is a very popular place and a lot of travelers will come through and stop by, but it does catch your attention because you do recognize probably about half of the patrons who come through as regulars. Uh, the one who steps in is a dwarf. He has dark brown hair, but in his beard are streaks of gray and silver. He has a deep green cloak and a hood pulled up around his face. He walks past you up to the counter where he talks with Zia for a little bit and gets a cup of coffee. And then, perhaps somewhat surprisingly, comes directly to your table and sits down across from you. Uh, Alward is uh, shocked for two reasons. One, he's sitting on his unseen servant. Uh, <laughs> and two, uh, he then looks at him and is like, uh, well, there's open tables over there if you don't mind. I'm on my break. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was intruding. Uh, also, you're you're on my uh, 
you know, it doesn't matter. And then I move the unseen servant. Uh, so he just like... Oh, the seat just got a wee bit harder. Yeah. Right. Well, you looked like you had a stout, good head straight on your shoulders and I thought you might not mind if I stopped for a chat. Sure. Are you you live in this town, boy? No, no, I, uh, I, I live in, uh, I live in, uh, Joel. Oh, Joel, it's a fair bit from here. You say you're on your break. Uh, yes. You work here. And he he's not able to say the word, so he just shakes his head, and sort of meekly. That's a bit of a commute. Yes, I have to get up rather early. Yeah, that's inspiring dedication there. And he takes a sip of his coffee. Uh, Our just sits there awkwardly, trying to not look at this dwarf. You make good money here. Not as much as I used to make. Oh, that's a pity. I won't pray, won't ask what you used to do. Thank you. Is there something more to this, or just just having a chat? Just having just, ch- just two lads getting to know each other. Oh well, if I could uh, ask you something, and then he immediately goes into dwarven, and is like, "How how do you say?" And like starts asking him about like the specific phonetics of dwarven and like how it's spoken traditionally versus like how he learned it, which is very like by the book. The dwarf looks surprised. Not just that you're shifting into Dwarven, but that you're asking about these specific questions about linguistics. But then he immediately begins answering you with a vocabulary that you would expect from a linguist. Oh, neat. So he's like on about like, well, the declensions, but only in these certain circumstances. And so he gives you a very clear and distinct answer to your linguistics questions. Uh, Alward is, he, he's fully like, like he's straightened up his back. He got like real focus and is like speaking and he's not really paying attention to anything but the conversation at hand. He let his coffee go cold uh, due to this, uh, which he's kind of sad about, but it's fine. He has prestidigitation. After a bit of the conversation, there's a bit of a lull at one point, perhaps while Alward is taking some notes or something. And the dwarf across from you just kind of steeples his fingers as if in thought. And Alward, I would like you to make a will save. What is my will save? Oh, my will's my good save. Oh, thank goodness. This will save right here is a 24. It's a good save. It's a good save. I'm proud of this save. So, as the dwarf steeples his fingers and you're making your note, you have a strange sensation wash over you. The last time you felt anything like this would have been when your uncle died. And it takes you just a moment's reflection to realize what's happening is that the sacred bastion of your own mind has been invaded. You're not alone in your own mind. Uh, Alward, the second when he realizes what this feeling reminds him of, his like stomach just sinks to the bottom 
uh, into like this endless pit and then he realizes that somebody else is in his brain so he immediately shifts gears and tries to like think about anything else but the death so I imagine the camera suddenly like pulls to the side and we see a profile shot of these two sitting across the table from each other the dwarf his fingers steepled kind of looking downward Alward still in the middle of writing notes but now we see like two half transparent versions of the two of them sitting up and looking at each other across the table and the dwarf says, well, you seem to be a strong-minded one. Uh, when the dwarf says that, uh, Alward stops taking notes with his hands, and a mage hand picks up the pen and starts writing uh, to continue, and he uh, looks at, uh, he sits up, looks at the dwarf, and is like, what are you doing? Just uh, stretching my wings, as it were. But what are you doing? How do you do that? Why are you here? Oh, you don't even know the very beginnings of what people like you can do, do you? I don't even know who you are. Well then, among dwarves we have a saying. People are best known when you see them on the field of battle. So let's get to know each other, shall we? Uh. <laughs> and Albert, how would you like to roll for your initiative for oh. this psychic duel? You know, I should have looked up the rules for that. What can I do? So You know what? No, I don't regret looking up the rules because me and the uh, people listening can learn these together. Yeah, so in duels, instead of just rolling a perception check for your initiative or rolling some other particular skill based off of how you wanted to start the fight, at the beginning of every round, you choose what you're going to roll again and that will change your essentially your stance for the rest of that round. Is it any different since this is a psychic, excuse me, mind battle? Uh, yes. So what you can roll is going to be deception, diplomacy, intimidation, or occultism, or perception. Okay. And each one that you choose gives you a different opportunity uh, to react to your opponent based off of what you chose. Okay, let's go ahead and start with my best stat, occultism. All right. So that's going to be focusing on your intellect and your rationality. Okay. You know, not, uh, not my best, at uh, 14. All right, so the dwarf will be going first. I expect it as such. I rolled a five. The dwarf stands up from the table, and immediately all the surroundings, the coffee shop, everything, all of it seems to simultaneously rush and just every direction away from you as if the entire space between yourself and the coffee shop is just becoming a vast chasm and you're in an open white space and there's nothing but you and the dwarf and the table between you and the dwarf picks up his coffee and the table just drops out from under you your coffee (laughs) remains in front of you floating in white space and the dwarf turns with a flourish and throws the coffee at you, and it just becomes this huge wave of lava that splashes over you. That's going to be a hit. What's your armor class? 15. Yeah, that's a hit. Not a crit. But I say if it's a crit, I'm probably done already. And you take three damage. I'm glad that lava didn't burn that much. Yeah, it's you, you're as you're seeing it coming, like the rationality of your mind is like, that's coffee, not lava, but like you still feel like this burning sensation as the lava is splashing onto mm, you. Like hot coffee. You have an opportunity, however. Uh, what is that? 
with your uh, centering yourself on your rationality, you have gained the reaction Rational Labyrinth. Analyze Analytically breaking down the attack, you realign your mind's defenses into a puzzle designed to confound it. You gain a plus two status bonus to your will save or your will DC, or a plus four status bonus if the, the effect has the emotion trait. So you could use that here. It's not really going to help you here because mm -hmm. he's still going to hit you. But I did want to bring it up since he hit you. Mm -hmm. um, also, since we're in a psychic duel, if I ever make an attack roll against you, or if you make an attack roll against me, we're not comparing against armor class. We're comparing against will DC. Oh, my will DC is different than my armor class, I believe. Oh. So my will DC is 17. Ah, okay. So he still hits you because he okay. got a 16 on the die. That's fully fair. Okay. Wait. Um... Okay, so doing the plus two wouldn't do anything with yeah. that. Uh, and then it, it wasn't in an emotional effect because, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So what are the what can I do? Uh, uh, he still has two actions left. Oh, my God. We're doing this. <laughs> he is going to... Wait, that was one action? <laughs> what? <laughs> he is going to attempt to demoralize you as you just see, like his face, but then like a duplicate of his face, larger and larger and larger and like a trippy, like 70s psychedelic mm, behind him, just scowling at you. I think I am going to use my reaction for this one. Okay. But that's a plus four. All right. So what is your will DC? 21 with the plus four. He fails. Nice. Because of your plus four. Yes. So with that, then how does the labyrinth play into your defense here? So, uh, as his face, um, gets, uh, larger and larger and larger. I, I think uh, Alward's labyrinth and uh, his head essentially is just going to start like building up around it to stop it from growing, uh, and then it's going to force it to shrink back down. Nice. And then with his final action, he's going to recenter to take on a different stance before your turn starts, so that he could use a different reaction. Okay, so what are some of the other reactions that uh, I would have available to me? Yeah, so we'll list these out real quick. If you use perception, you get armor of insight. You can get resistance to mental damage against a triggering effect. And is all of this considered mental damage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you use diplomacy, you can get empathic orbit. Um, you, you display your empathy towards your opponent, and they become stupefied. Oh, neat. If you use intimidation, you can use Iyer's spear. With your blazing anger, if somebody hits you, you can hit them back. Mm. Uh, you've already seen Rational Labyrinth. And then the last one, if you use Deception, you can use Sensory Phantasm. Using your guile, you can send psychic illusions through your mental link, making yourself harder to pinpoint and become concealed. That's neat. And that's just a reaction? Yeah, these are all reactions. Okay. And then, so what can I do on my turn, since this is sort of a weird, wobbly thing? Um, anything that you can normally do, like literally anything you can normally do, mm -hmm. but you're feel, you can feel free to flavor it as whatever you want. Okay. Also, you are considered within range for anything. That makes sense. So we're just in a complete white void right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Alward is going to... Um, increase the size of his coffee mug and then uh, launch it at him. Uh, but it instead of how I want it to be, it looks like it's going to come f in the front, but then when it hits him, he'll get hit in the back from behind. Nice. 
and I use normal attack rolls and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's a 17. That's a hit. Okay, so that's... Gosh darn it, I need... Five damage. Nice. Uh, And that was two. And then I'm going to go ahead and uh, refocus to deception, I think. Uh, 16 for deception. Okay. So you have one action. Oh, no, because you used two for telekinetic mm-hmm. projectile. Okay. Because my hit to hit is not good, and I still have to use my physical to hit, I presume. All right. So it is the next round. What did you say you got for your deception? Uh, 16. All right, you go first. Okay. All right, so it's your turn, and you're using a deception center, correct? Yes, okay. uh, out of 16. Uh, I'm going to change... For this one, I'm going to change the landscape uh, into uh, a calm, idyllic field. And then in the space behind him and in front of him, uh, two tornadoes sprout up uh, for a telekinetic rent. Nice. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and amp that. Uh, so that's a fortitude save, actually, not a roll. Uh-huh. All right, and what's your DC? Uh, 17. All right, so he fails. Oh, wow. Uh, so he d- is going to take 1d6 slashing and 1d6 bludgeoning damage. Uh, let's see here. Because you amped it. Yep. Nice. And nothing else since he didn't critically fail. Ooh, six damage. All right. And then, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm going to try and into intimidate. Well, no, because well, that's really all I can do. Unless I want to try to bop him, but I don't think I can bop him. You could always try bopping. I can always try bopping. I'm going to try to bop him. You could bop against the will, DC. Yeah. So my bop is I'm going to bring out uh, a mage hand is going to grab the nightstick and dangle it over his head. And then it's just going to drop. And let's see if I bop him before I explain what happens next. And it's a minus five since I already... Uh, no, telekinetic friend's not an attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 16. Uh, that is not a success. Okay. So it just falls and clunks on his head and then falls uh, into the abyss. Nice. If I would have hit, it would have grown to massive size. Oh, that then, is what I was thinking. Yeah. I love that. So as the nightstick drops and clunks on his head and starts falling, he catches it and then whirls it back over his head and then just like throws it at you and it just starts spinning like impossibly fast and there's like a buzzsaw noise. Uh, I'm going to use my reaction and uh, as it gets closer to me, a million copies of me are going to spread out behind me uh, to sort of conceal myself. Nice. So blue will be rolling the flat check for concealment, and okay. brass will be his check. All right. And the flat check for concealment is a five? Is that right? Yes, they have to beat a five. Okay. Five or better. Yeah. So the buzzsaw comes whirring, and it goes right into the head of one of your copies. Uh, When that happens, all the copies just Nice. Yes, he failed on his flat check to target you through the illusion. Good. Oh, wait, do I get concealment for the round or just for that attack? Until the end of your next turn. Then the copies stay. Nice. That one does go poof, though. So then... The buzzsaw nightstick goes whirring past you just into the oblivion and the dwarf just grunts and then like looks at you and just like his scowl darkens as he begins focusing. Storm clouds are focusing over your head and I'm going to need you to make a will save. 
14. All right. That's going to be a fail. Yeah, that's fair. A regular fail. Oh, thank goodness. So you take three mental damage, and you begin taking 1d4 persistent mental damage as this lightning strikes through the cloud, and you just feel it, like, coursing through your whole spine, and then there's just, like, pink and purple, like, sparkles of electricity running up and down your body. This would be very cool if I wasn't in a lot of pain. And that is the end of his turn. All right. So now we'll both roll initiative for the new round. I think I'm going to switch back to occultism. Because that's the plus two to my will DC or plus four if it's an emotional. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Oof. Eleven. Okay, so my guy's going first this time. I would assume. I didn't roll too well either. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's why I had to check my bonuses. <laughs> All right, so as the storm clouds are, like, still, like, dark and gathered over Alward's head, he's just going to raise his hands up and then, like, bring them down, like, gathering the storm clouds with him, and they just begin wrapping around Alward and just, like, wrapping tighter and tighter and grabbing tighter and tighter. Alward, I'm going to need another will save. Okay, and I think I'm going, because I can use my reaction to give this a plus two. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do that. And this one has the, the emotional trait. Or oh, no, so this does not have the emotional yeah. trait. Sorry, just the mental trait. Ooh, I probably didn't need to give it a plus two, but I'm glad I did it anyway. 27 damage. Or <laughs> <laughs> 27 for the will save. So how do you resist these clouds that are trying to constrict you with your critical success on your saving uh, So I think what happens is, since we're in a field and the storm clouds are there, I think what happens is we literally just move locations to like a dusty desert uh, that hasn't seen rain or storms for over a hundred years. Uh, so now we're just in this hot, s- sandy, awful place. Nice, and the storm clouds just kind of dissipate in the arid air. Uh, I like to think we just left them behind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We just literally moved. And the dwarf, like, he's still, like, standing in the same position relative to you, and he's just glowering at you. And for a second, you're, like, feeling pretty hot. And then you just hear, as the buzzsaw nightstick is coming back on its orbit. And it misses. Nice. Um, Is it my turn? It is your turn. Uh, So as it misses, I'm going to use its thing and then uh, amp my telekinetic projectile to try and hit him with it. Uh, uh, 19. That is a hit. Okay. Let's see. So he's going to be, it doesn't matter, but he's going to be pushed back five feet away. And he's going to take, yeah, seven points of damage. So this nightstick buzzsaw comes whirring right past Alward. And I imagine you just like turn your head and then like flick your fingers forward. Mm -hmm. Sorry, let me. Let me do that in the mic. You turn your head and you flick your fingers forward and it just whizzes past you and you see a momentary look of surprise on this dwarf's face face right before the nightstick hits him. And just before you would expect it to go through his skull, instantly you're back in the coffee shop and he tumbles over backwards out of his chair onto the floor. Uh, I'm going... uh, So uh, once Alward gets his bearings because he's sort of shocked in the moment and uh, his uh, notebook and quill have fallen to the ground um probably well before now 
and he uh, sees the dwarf fall off the chair, and then he's going to have his unseen servant, his uh, the one that's constantly at the shop, help him up. <laughs> right. Ah, well, I appreciate your polite gesture, lad. What was that? Uh, or, uh, Just some friendly mental sparring. How did you do that? My lad, and he leans forward and taps the sides of his prodigious nose. You know the Rankin-Bass hobbit with the dwarves? I don't know if you've seen that. That's kind of what I'm picturing for this guy. I'll have to look it up later. So he leans forward and he taps his nose and he's like, I think you know a wee bit more than you let on. Uh, Alward is just looking at him, blank stare, like, and some random thought in the back of his mind is like, I used my only source of magic today and it's gone because of this man. Uh, but he, he, he has no idea what the dwarf is talking about. Somebody win a fight as well as you had without experience or at least great promise. Uh, are you okay? Like, I'm fine. It would take a lot more than that to lay me flat. A momentary catching me off guard. Maybe flat-footed, you might say. <laughs> so you have a penalty to your AC right now. Check it and see. Stab! <laughs> Sorry if I peeked the mic there. <laughs> um, uh, what is, what is your name? Like, can you show me more about this? I don't. The name's Bran. I might be able to teach you a wee bit more. But first, I'll need a favor. Uh, oh, I'm I'm busy most days, dude. You know. What's the favor? I've got a job for you, and it's going to pay you a lot more than this dinky little coffee shop does. Uh, no disrespect, Bran, but why didn't you just open with that? I had to test your metal first, see if you're up to the task. I, uh, I don't... Okay. See, I'll order us another round of coffee, and we'll go over the particulars of the job my, my shift starts back up in like five minutes he pulls out a sack of gold and sits it in front of you your shift starts in the week and you're gonna need some help and i think that's where we'll cut this prologue yeah that's, that's really good i like that this has been an atomic broadcasting production pathfinder galarian and the lost omens world setting are copyright of paizo more information at paizo.com. Music in the show is from Monument Studios Collection, as well as assorted artists with some original tracks composed by Jordy Hake. More details in the description. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to share with a friend, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time. What's, what's your best David Attenborough impression? As the wild Jordy sits in his chair, he wiggles his arms in a ritualistic style dance, hoping to bring forth food. As we watch, his summoning of food has failed. He will now die, for he has no st store for the winter. Sorry, that got dark. I'm glad I was recording. <laughs> <laughs> Nature's dark, it's fine. <laughs>